This is the Beat Generation, a look at music throughout the years that changed our world, from the original beat poets of the 50s through to the musicians of the 60s until today. They've become known for their influence on music that has shaped the soundtrack of our lives, simply known as the Beat Generation. Welcome to the Beat Generation, produced in association with Bad Boys Productions, Townsville's Triple TFM and the Community Broadcast Association of Australia. The show got its name from the 50s writers that inspired so many musicians. And each week we'll take a look into music and artists throughout the years that have changed the face of the musical landscape. A full song listing can be found at our Facebook page, forward slash music that changed the world. And a podcast of this show and past episodes can be found on Apple and Spotify along with some of our other shows, including The Bad Boys and Secret Men's Business. So check out our shows. If you like what you hear, then please leave us a review. So sit back, put your headphones on, crank up the dial, and journey with us this week as we take a look at the rise of the new protest era. I'm Shane Bryan, and this is The Beat Generation. 1970. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on stag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the shape of a war theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nub. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on report from 29 districts. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on the rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still life of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant, and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on Search for Tomorrow because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry Arm, woman liberationist, and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Keyes, nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or The Rare Earth. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. 
the revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. Well, the words of Gil Scott Heron rang out true. The good fight that the Beat Generation fought had an impact, and for a period of time, it seemed to make a difference. A change for the better, however, a revolution was coming that was going to be fought away from the mass media. Now, the late 70s and early 80s seemed a lifetime from the atrocities of Vietnam and the civil rights movements, a very dim and dark past. The artists influenced by the Beat Generation became legends and their music inspiration for the problems that the world now faced. The Vietnam War was replaced by the Middle East conflict. The freedom that the children of the revolution had was replaced by land rights issues. The black civil rights replaced by anti-gay rallies. And the environmental crisis in the water began to impact the rest of the environment and it mounted an even bigger problem like holes in the ozone layer. The media, however, was ignoring it. If there was a revolution, it wasn't one that was going to be promoted. It was one that fell squarely onto the shoulders of the writers, the artists, the filmmakers and the musicians. Music had become the flag that was flown by the beat generation artists and now a new era had begun. As we witnessed with Live Aid and the 80s supergroups, we could not keep silent and let the world spiral into chaos. So it was up to the artists to be the voice of change. The war in the Middle East had been an ongoing one. Iraq, Iran, Syria, Turkey, it was a constant fight. When the Iranian revolution occurred, the new government brought about massive changes and fully recognised that the power of the people began with the influence the West had over the young. One of the first things to be banned along with newspapers and magazines was Western music for fear that it would result in an uprising. Now, one band who we heard from last week in the rise of punk was The Clash. Like most punk music, it was anti-establishment, anti-war, anti-government, and The Clash were no different. They wrote about the issues in the Middle East in their song Rock the Cashbar in 1982, and nearly 10 years later, at the commencement of Desert Storm, the song became the first track to be played by the Armed Forces Radio. Now, for all the good work the song had in bringing to light a conflict, the song sadly became an anthem for Desert Storm, with one story even suggesting that Rock the Kashba was written on one of the American bombs to be detonated in Iraq. As a punk band, it stood against everything that they believed as left-wing socialists, but more importantly, as musicians and artists. From 1982, here is The Clash with Rock the Kashba on The Beat Generation. 1982. Oh 
Well, the 1980s were an interesting time to be alive in music. On one hand, you had New Wave, the pop icons and the hair bands. Underlying all the image and facade was the deep desire to connect. This was the start of a global community and a lot of attention was paid to the indigenous cultures of the world. Some of the original Beat Generation artists were at the forefront of the movement to open the world to what would become known as world music. Coming out of Genesis, Peter Gabriel carved a promising solo career and eventually worked with artists like Yasuo Andauer and started WOMAD, the world music movement. Gabriel was very much responsible for reducing the gap that was apartheid. One song recorded in 1980 and released on his third album, Melt, dealt with the death of South African activist Stephen Bicko in 1977. Bicko gave a lot of weight to the whole topic of apartheid and was included in the Bicko story, Cry Freedom. Here with one of the songs dealing with the apartheid issue, Bicko, by Peter Gabriel on The Beat Generation. 1980.
Well, another beat generation artist who was one of the first to bring light to the music of South Africa and let it fly in the face of apartheid was Paul Simon, who had moved to South Africa because he became fascinated with a bootleg tape from that area. Now, while he was there, he gathered as many artists as he could to record and even defined a cultural boycott brought about by apartheid. The song You Can Call Me Al is almost autobiographical. It's someone who goes to Africa with no idea and ends up having an extraordinary spiritual experience. The artists on the track include South African jazz artist Jay Moore Goldberg and a phenomenal bass track by South African Akithi Kumalo. The bass solo at 3 minutes 43 seconds is the bass line played backwards. Now interesting, McCarthy had to learn how to play it backwards for many concerts to follow. Following the album's release, Simon was turned upon by the apartheid organisations and also other artists for breaking the cultural boycott. Simon's response was simply that it was a collaboration between blacks and whites to make music that people everywhere enjoyed. And we definitely have. Here is the 1986 hit, You Can Call Me Al, by Paul Simon. I'm Shane Bryan. You're listening to The Beat Generation. 1986. Why am I soft in the middle now? Why am I soft in the middle? The rest of my life is so hard. I need a photo opportunity. I want a shot of redemption. Don't want to end up a cartoon in a cartoon graveyard. Bone digger, bone digger, dogs in the moonlight. Far away, my well-lit door. Mr. Beer Melly, Beer Melly, get these mutts away from me, you know. I don't find this stuff amusing anymore. If you'll be my bodyguard, Why am I short of attention? Got a short little span of attention And all my nights are so long Where's my wife and family? What if I die here? Who'll be my role model? Now that my role model is gone, gone Be ducked back down the alley with some Roly-poly little bat-faced girl All along, along There were incidents and accidents There were hints and allegations If you'll be my bodyguard Speak language, holds no currency. He is a foreign man. 
Well, another artist in 1986 brought back a reminder of civil rights. Growing up in Virginia, Bruce Hornsby grew up in a society that looked at Martin Luther King as an evil man. Hornsby fortunately had a family that was a bit more enlightened about racial problems than the folk in the Deep South. The song The Way It Is deals with homelessness, American civil rights and racism in general. It has since been sampled by so many other artists, including Tupac. From 1986, The Way It Is, Bruce Hornsby and the Range on The Beat Generation. 1986.
Well, that was Bruce Hornsby and The Range, The Way It Is. We'll be back with more after the break, with more music from the new protest era on The Beat Generation. Hi, this is Shane. And Andrew from The Bad Boys. If you're after quality, hard-hitting journalism that matches four corners... News that'll keep the government and the people accountable for their actions... And current affairs that's more reliable than, well, a current affair... Then then that's that's not not us. us. Bad Boys Unleashed. Music. Entertainment. Celebrity interviews. And the only original Bad Boys news that makes 60 Minutes sound like the Muppets. Join me, him and bad girl Angie for the conversation that no one wants to have, but everybody wants to hear. Bad Boys Unleashed. Subscribe for free on Apple and Spotify. This is The Beat Generation, a look at music throughout the years that changed our world, from the original beat poets of the 50s through to the musicians of the 60s until today. They've become known for their influence on music that has shaped the soundtrack of our lives, simply known as The Beat Generation. Welcome back to The Beat Generation, produced in association with Bad Boys Productions, Townsville's Triple TFM and the Community Broadcast Association of Australia. I'm Shane Bryan. Thanks for joining us as we continue our look at the rise of the new protest era. Now make sure you check out our Facebook page, Music That Changed the World, and our Instagram page, The Beat Generation Podcast. Now I thought we would take a look at a couple of artists closer to home, well, my home here in Australia. The Indigenous problem was getting just as much attention, courtesy of one of the biggest songs in Australian history, and a band who didn't quite realise what they had until they received a standing ovation. That band was Goanna, and Shane Howard tells the story of how it came about. It's very real at Uluru. Where the Mutajulu community is now was the old camping ground, and, you know, I, I camped there, I had a tent, I, I, I went by train as far as Alice Springs on the old Gan, and then got a bus out to uh, Uluru, when it was called Ayers Rock in those days, and it was it was something of a pilgrimage for me. I, I remember... The first night there, I'd set up my tent and I'd cooked up a little feed and chased the dingoes away. And just that powerful feeling of, that powerful presence of Uluru, it's an imposing presence. And we're all, I think we're all drawn to it, you know, nationally and internationally. Uh, It's such an icon. And But in that moment, I I remember writing, you know, out here nothing changes, not in a hurry anyway. And... But what I found at Uluru was something very powerful and very alive and I woke up. I woke up in the Jukapa or I woke up in the dreaming and I realised very powerfully that I was in someone else's country and uh, it, it started me on a journey that is that continues really all these years later. An ever-deepening journey into, you know, the uh, first peoples of this country who hold this very deep and rich history and story and understanding of this landscape that's tens of thousands of years old, you know, thousands of generations. There's this incredible strength and toughness, you know, to Aboriginal people who have to live, I mean, particularly desert people because it's a harsh life, you know, water's scarce, uh, food is scarce, you know, you have to really know your country 
and you have to know the song lines to live a traditional life in that country. But for all that strength and toughness, there's also this sense of the spiritual, and I guess in a way where the art and the music and the song and the story, everything comes together so that the spiritual and the aesthetic and the practical are all interwoven together. And people sit down, you know, grown men who can go out and spear and hunt, you know, kangaroos and live very hard, tough lives, can also sit down and do very delicate painting and sing with great feeling and... Um, you know, and in that sense, I think you can measure for us as white fellows our our cultural loss. It's a deep sense of um, custodianship, which is completely at odds with our you know, European sense of um, ownership of land. For a lot of people, they just went solid rock and it was something you could <laughs> rock beat and you could dance to it. But uh, look, every Aboriginal person, as soon as they heard that song, knew exactly what was going on. Um, and there were lots of white fellows at the time as well who were attuned to the need for change. It was a, a strange thing that it was so commercially successful. Um, and at the same time, while I was being fated by the commercial music industry, I'm also meeting Aboriginal people after every gig who are coming back to your hotel room or whatever and sitting up late talking into the night about hearing the stories of the massacres, the dispossessions, the, the, the destruction. And, you know, I, I got to a point where I could no longer be proud of the country that I lived in. And I've written about this recently, uh, that... You know, there's this the moment, there's kind of a time where you get to where you go, once you know, um, you can't unknow. You can turn away, and lots of people do. You can walk away from it and go, it's too hard, and it was hard. Uh, or you push on through. And for a lot of Aboriginal people who I met on that journey at that time, you know, a lot of the time I was one of the few white fellas that they could vent their anger at. Um, so, you know, they were hard things to hear and to listen to and on board. And um, at, at times it would have been easier to walk away, but um, it's a, it was a truth. Well, here is Goanna with the 1982 classic Solid Rock on the Beat Generation. 1982. Not in a 
Samran Live. Joanna's efforts in Australia inspired so many bands, including a lot of Indigenous bands, who were ready to jump into the spotlight. In a few weeks' time, we'll have that full interview with Shane Howard, and we'll also go a little bit deeper into the story of Goanna. That'll all be part of Series 2 of The Beat Generation. Well, one band who went on tour with Shane and Goanna Band was a band that was no stranger to protest music in all of its formats, and that was Midnight Oil. Successive tours with Warumpi Band allowed Midnight Oil to see the health problems and the substandard living that the Indigenous community suffered, and as a result, they recorded Diesel and Dust. Now, Beds Are Burning is a very political song about giving Native Australian lands back to the Pintupi, the last people to come in from the desert, forcibly removed during the 1950s and 1960s to the Papunya settlement, in 1981 they left to return to their own country and they established the Kintore community which is nestled in the picturesque Kintore Ranges surrounded by Mulga and Spinifex country. It's now a thriving little community with a population of about 400. Diesel and Dust is listed as the number one Australian album of all time and here with the 1987 hit Midnight Oil with Beds Are Burning. 
In 1991, Los Angeles was gripped in one of the worst riots that America has ever seen since the end of the civil rights movement. Starting with the police beating of Rodney King, even though the incident was caught on camera, they were acquitted and a massive riot occurred. Outspoken band Rage Against the Machine was one of the many bands that wrote about the event, likening the outcome result to the cross-burning of the Ku Klux Klan. Now, we'd love to play the song, but due to the language, we can't. However, another artist also wrote about the experience in the title song from his album Black Tie White Noise. Yes, I'm talking about David Bowie and he explained that the song was about the identity of different ethnic groups and how they deserve to coexist. Here with the 1993 track Black Tie White Noise, David Bowie on The Beat Generation. 1993 
Well, Neil Young's 1989 album Freedom is without question the standard in modern-day protest, Rockin' in the Free World. It was a protest song aimed at George Bush Sr., but it's also been used for other major events like the fall of the Berlin Wall and even used in the closing credits of Michael Moore's 2004 documentary Fahrenheit 9-11, protesting the Bush Jr. administration. Well, it's also a good time to finish off this week's look at the rise of the new protest era. Next week, we'll dive into the turn of the century to take a listen to songs that have impacted us and continue to inspire us to change in a show that I'm calling Fighting for Our Future. Here to finish up from 1989, Neil Young, Rockin' in the Free World. I'm Shane Bryan, and this has been The Beat Generation. 1989.